0: This is an Irish independent podcast. It was a game for the
1: ages, as long as I'm alive in it. And what I really loved about it was just the cut and trust of it. There was a lot of heavy hits put in, and it just lended itself to a really, really classic.
2: One word, memorable. You know, I'm 40 odd years in this game, well, and fewer and fewer sports events give me goosebumps. But that gave me goosebumps yesterday.
0: Well, once again, the Munster hurling final did not disappoint. Limerick are Munster champions for the fourth year in a row, but they were pushed all the way by Clare in an absolute thriller at Semple Stadium with the game going to extra time. There was intrigue and interest on Saturday night in the Leinster hurling final as well. Kilkenny champions for the third year in a row after beating Galway. But once again, a lot of focus on the Brian Cody and Henry Shefflin interaction at the final whistle. We'll be discussing both games with Eddie Brennan and Vincent Hogan in a couple of minutes. While in part two of the show, Colm Keyes will join us to go over the football action over the weekend, including the elimination of Tyrone from the All-Ireland Championship after winning the title last year. But first, Michael Verney is here with me on the Tyrone Podcast. And Michael, you were on John McDonough Cup duty over the weekend. Antrim beating Kerry again in a very thrilling finale. It didn't look like it was going to be so tight uh, You know, various stages of the game. What did you make of it?
3: Oh, it's a belter of a game, Will, yeah. Kind of had a bit of an exhibition feel to it. It was just like ping-pong, scores at one end, scores at the, at the other end. But it looked like Antrim were, were going to pull away. They were 12 points up, uh, two, two different occasions in the first half. Kerry just kept kind of hanging on to their coattails. Uh, Podge Boyle was brilliant for Kerry. He kept things ticking over when he didn't really maybe have too much support up an attack. And uh, Jordan Conway, who's had a lot of really bad injuries, came in. He scored two two for Kerry, dragged them back to within I think they were within two um before Kieran Clark scored a penalty on the hour mark. Paddy O'Connor got black carded at the same stage. So you'd Antrim up by five, you'd a man up, and you're kinda of thinking, Ah listen, they're they're gonna pull away now. And Kerry just kept chipping away. I think they outscored with three points to one while they were down a man. And it went right into injury time and you're waiting until the seventy fifth minute for Antrim to stretch that lead back out to four give them a bit of insurance. And then with the next play, Parik Boyle bangs in a goal and there's only a point in it. And then unusually in GA terms, Sean Stack blew, blew the whistle there and then. The time was up, but the um, the default mode in the GA seems to be, will the will oh, we'll play for a draw mantra. But that wasn't the case the other night. Uh, you would probably say the better team won but they kind of fell over the line with say uh, and were really, really hanging on by the end of
0: it. Yeah, and it sets up Cork Antrim and Wexford Kerry in the preliminary quarterfinals next weekend. I know we're having Andy Brennan on in a couple of minutes. He masterminded probably one of the biggest shocks of the last few years in the same fixture when Leash beat Dublin a couple of years ago. Would you give Antrim or Kerry any chance of springing a surprise?
3: A difficult one. Um, if there was going to be an upset, I, it would be Antrim, I think, are the more likely to upset, but... I think if Antrim were playing Wexford, they'd have a good chance of an upset. I, I don't think against Cork. Uh, Cork have had a bit of time to regroup after finishing the Munster stages really, really well. Just a little aside as well, we just were chatting to the uh, the Kerry manager, Steve Mullumfey, after about you know, if they were invited into Munster, would they take up the invitation? And he said they'd, they'd take their hand off, or then they've avoided, the GA have avoided that scenario again, I suppose, with Antrim winning. But it's definitely something that needs to be looked at if Kerry win the McDonough. And they've been in the final for the last three years. There shouldn't be a trapdoor or a safety net there. They should just be, you know, in the Munster Championship. So hopefully that's something they look at. But they have a chance to regroup now um, against Wexford. And it's funny, Stephen was a coach at Wexford when they won the Leinster title in 2019. And now he's managing against them. So he'll have a bit of intel anyway, even though he was pretty uh, adamant that he wouldn't say anything about it the other night. But uh, yeah, two, two interesting preliminary quarterfinals. Um, if the draw had been skewed it get a bit different there might be an upset but hard to see an upset you'd have to yeah say.
0: for sure but it will be interesting to see if Andrew Kerry can give it a good go next weekend but for now we're going to look back on the Munster and Leinster hurling finals we're delighted to have Vincent Hogan and Eddie Brennan here with us and uh, Vincent I might go to you first I know you were in Turnus yesterday for that absolute classic between Limerick and Clare and I thought you summed it up very well in today's Irish Independent but I suppose in the years to come when someone mentions the 2022 Monster final to you how would you describe it
2: one word memorable um you know I'm, I'm 40 odd years in this game well and fewer and fewer sports events give me goosebumps but that gave me goosebumps yesterday it's funny I, I was talking to Jerry Hegarty briefly after the game Garrod's father and, and he, he made a point to me he said coming to the match you thought you feared the rain would spoil the occasion, but if anything, it, it added to it. It was an extraordinary event. You know, I, I go back to the, the games between Kilkenny and Tip, you know, 9 10 They were just these moments that it was privileged to sit there and, and, and be part of this. The, I remember getting that feeling as well that the Saturday evening, Claire played Cork in the 2013 All-Ireland Final replay under lights in Croke Park. And this was the same thing. This is so quintessentially Irish. And of all the sports events that I cover over the years, the one that I continually love to cover is the Munster Hurling final. And everything about yesterday was unique to Ireland. It was so special. Point I feel very strongly about. I don't think it should have gone to extra time. I think the players deserved a replay to go down that tunnel. They had invested so heavily into the event. and. You know, to have to come back out for 20 minutes and go again and and to have the potential of it being settled by the lottery of penalties would have been farcical. And I think the way we're rushing this championship off is wrong, but it was epic, it was magnificent, and just individual displays all over the field, Will, that were extraordinary.
0: Yeah, Eddie, there's so little between the teams. Obviously, it went to extra time, their second draw of the championship so far, you know. Why did you why did Limerick have that little bit extra? Why do you think they did get over the line ultimately?
1: I think it's just absolute trust and belief uh in, in what they're about. Um since 2017. Paul Kinerk has been building this 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 game that they play and how they, they stick to that process and they trust that process. And and I suppose the word trust, you know, it's something I spoke about today in the article. But trust is something that, you know, you say, Oh, we, we want to have, have everyone trusted, and you can talk about that. But that's something that's built up over time. It's something that night after night in training, when you're sitting down having a bit of grub with somebody and you're talking out little scenarios, and that, that comes with experience as well. And I think that's probably uh, what what Paul Kinerk and even Kylie probably has just embedded into the mindset of these Limerick players, is that you trust what you're doing, you stick at it and you stick at it and see it out. Um, the big one for me is just their, their currency... And we've heard them talking about this, you know, we heard a lad saying that when Peter Casey got injured last year, I think somebody, maybe Darren Donovan, referenced, he's a 15-tackles-a-game man. Now, if you have a corner forward uh, putting in 15 tackles, that just gives you a very, very important insight into what these Limerick boys are about. Because when you look at the stats yesterday, they were generally quite even. If anything clear were quite effective and hurt Limerick probably in areas that Limerick would always be predominantly strong, like even on their own puckouts on turnovers. You know they, they turned over Limerick so much on on the long puckouts, but yes, you know when you look at Limerick afterwards, I think it was maybe one fourteen. I think that they got where they turned over uh, clear opposition. So therein is 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 the the nuggets that that John Kiley and the boys go after if your forwards are putting in that then the backs will just do their job. And I think Limerick also, I I feel, they accept that they're going to cough up a nice few scores. They accept that there's nothing you can do about a certain amount of scores. But we have to just straight away make sure that we're doing our business. And yesterday, you know, a goal was obviously going to be the big one yesterday. It was a real six-pointer because uh, if you look at Limerick, there was no way the Clare boys were going in around that goal. Uh, they really nullified it. Um, and you'd have nothing but admiration. But again, as Vincent said there, I I definitely concur with that. It was it was a game for the ages. As long as I'm alive, and I I'm, one of my big memories from the start is the 1990 All Ireland final. It was just such an exciting and enthralling game that looked as if it was maybe gone at halftime. And yesterday, the first few minutes, the ball was like a bar of soap, and he just went, "Oh God, this is this is not going to help the match." But once the players bedded down, and what I really loved about it was. Just the cut and thrust of it. There was a lot of heavy hits put in, and I have to say, not one player was lying down waiting for you know waiting for anything to, to for any protection from a ref or a soft freeze or anything like that. And it just lended itself to a really really classic.
0: I think they would have been waiting a long time for some protection from the referee. I know Keenan uh, d- didn't give too many freeze. And anyone you know kind of wanting an insight into the game, I think following Michael Verney's Twitter account was giving a good uh, blow by blow of the excitement. Michael, you know, Eddie kind of paid tribute to Limerick there, but it takes two to tango and Clare were unbelievable. You know, they backed up that round-robin draw where Limerick probably were missing a few more key players. Like, there's still a lot for them to have a say in this championship too.
3: Massive, yeah. I think we all know how good Limerick are, and we've seen that in the last couple of years, but what we all wanted to see was someone to really throw it down to them, a team to really... It's like, like I was kind of thinking there like Eddie when you won in 07 it was great but Limerick didn't you know didn't give you that game when you won in 08 Waterford didn't give you that game Tipperary put it up to you and it tested your metal and it made you better and it made, you know the game the game that Clare threw at Limerick yes, is absolutely brilliant they threw everything at them physically just thought that image of image of uh, Finn and Kelly snarling at each other like two lads just like two bulls going at each other it's just brilliant it's just it, just lads scraping and scrimping for that inch, and Clare really put it up to Limerick yesterday, and i was just fascinated to see when a team would take Limerick down the stretch, how they'd react. And as Eddie says there, they still had that trust in the process, still had that trust in what they were doing. But from a Clare point of view, when you look at what's happened in the last couple of years and where they are now, they are right there. They've drawn with, Claire, drawn with Limerick three times this year. And you just hope after watching yesterday and even talking about it, you just, all the the goose pimples pimples and all, everything comes back to you again. You just hope that they'll meet again at some stage and they probably will. Um, And it's just something about neighbours meeting each other that just, Claire don't fear Limerick. A lot of teams fear Limerick, but Claire don't. And um, what they threw at them yesterday was phenomenal. It was probably just the fact that by the final whistle, uh, Kelly had been had gone off Duggan had gone off O'Donnell had gone off and Limerick just went into the reserves and Conor Boyle and David Reedy and these guys and even Rich English coming in filling in for Mike Casey and it was seamless enough they went deep into their squad and probably just had a bit more That
1: didn't look good for Casey either didn't it? He looked very forlorn coming off the
3: pitch he looked like a guy that knew
1: something, something big was wrong so you'd be hoping for him because he's been through a lot you'd be hoping that's not the case
0: yeah, obviously missing out on some of their big successes over the last couple of years. And Vincent, you kind of you gave your, your your overview of the game and how special it was, despite all the great events you've attended. What about that Tony Kelly moment then? In terms of great moments you've witnessed, you know the the kind of the, the tight angle, the last you know play of the game, almost. You know it was a it was one of those all time great moments as well.
2: It was just ridiculous, and you know there was a, a debate going on in the press box with a lot of people. You know, Peter Duggan had already nailed a, a line cut. Should he have taken it? You know, obviously Kelly had been just sensational, and he was finding pockets of space, particularly up around the left, the, the left wing, and just scoring for fun. But to, to do that from that angle in those circumstances and the pressure on him—just uh, one of those, you know, Hollywood moments. And but, but Kelly keeps doing it, and, and you know there is. Kind of an acceptance for anyone who plays Clare now that you you can't stop Tony Kelly, and you can't have your game plan around man marking Tony Kelly because he's going to find a way. But for him to do what he did just then, I, I thought it was one of the saddest aspects of the game that it ended with him standing under the, the the Ryan Stand with his helmet in his hand because he he is such a standout player these days, and for him to roll an ankle before the end, it was it was a huge blow to Clare. Um, as Michael says, Duggan was gone off while Donald was gone off. They had emptied themselves. And I think that's the big little. Uh, the, the big worry for Claire is that they've got to come out of this now. And, and potentially, it looks like probably going to play Wexford in an All Ireland quarter final. And, you know, in a very different emotional dynamic, they've got to you know, get that energy back into them. And uh, it's a challenge for them because people are saying, yeah, they're going to meet again. but it, you can't take it for granted. Uh, they, they've, got, they've got to regroup now and, and find their energy again.
0: Yeah, Eddie Vincent kind of mentioned what I was going to ask you there. You know, there did seem to be kind of a, a narrative yesterday, oh, like, we'll get part three, potentially in an Ireland final between Limerick and Clare. But it is a huge task to, to pick yourself up after a defeat like that. And you still have to win two really tough games to get to a final.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and I think this week, you know, for Brian Lowen, like, you won't get back on the horse till later in the week, really. I think this week is going to be all about recovery because... I think it's as much psychological as anything else. I mean, you want the lads to go and, and wind down a little bit because I always would say that there was all, there's always a big wind-up. And I was giddy all week because you, you could feel that this Munster final was just building nicely, that, as Michael said and Vince said, you had a wordy opponent going toe-to-toe with Limerick. But there's also the psychological come down. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of sore bodies, very deflated, very disappointed because they would have come into that and the Clare mindset and and I think it's very reflective of their manager, he came in there with nothing else, only a, a win on his mind. So, there's, there's the disappointment, there's fierce disappointment in that but I think, look, this week for Clare, it's about re- refreshing, getting the bodies right, maybe Wednesday, Thursday, just a little bit of a get-together, get the, get the, the you know, the bad blood out of the system and it's then maybe probably a good team meeting really is what's going to refocus Clare now because they're going to, you know, you would expect it's going to be Wexford with, you know, with the height respect to Kerry. They have a tough challenge. It'll be interesting to see. But they have to just get charged up and ready for that because Wexford are going to come into that, you know, jumping. And, and historically as well, Wexford have had some good tilts with Clare. So there's a huge, there's a huge, but there's a huge reward there from I think, you know, you'd be looking at potentially a Kilkenny Clare all Ireland semi final or a Kilkenny Wexford You know, so so Clare still have a huge amount to play for. They're onto the All Ireland series now. Um and again, I think for Brian Lohan yeah, they're resetting, they're recalibrating, but uh, there's still a huge amount to play for. And I won't be shocked. You know, you would not be shocked if we see a repeat of that Munster
0: final in the All Ireland final. Yeah, Michael, I'll give you the last word then on the Munster final and Limerick in particular. Are, are they, you know, sitting pretty now? They have the extended break to the semi final, maybe to get Keane Lynch back fit again, a guy who, who's missed the last couple of games with an injury. Was that the perfect test for them to
3: steal them for later in the year? I think when you say that they were missing the two time hurler of the year, um, it's a nice little boost to have uh, back over the next month. Just on a point Vinny made earlier, uh, and I do agree uh, about, you know, a big final like that going to a replay, I think that's, I think it's probably deserving of a replay. From a Limerick point of view, I think they'll be absolutely delighted that they've gotten through Munster without having to play another game next week. And I think I'm back to probably Galway in 2018, when they were the best team in the country, in my view, particularly for the early stages, but they went to a Leinster final replay. Picked up a couple of knocks along the way, went to an all-Ireland semi-final replay and were totally flat by the time we got to the All-Ireland final. So I think they'll be I think they'll be much happier. I like obviously they they won, so they're they're in that nice position, but they have a month now. Uh, see what the the story is at Mike Casey get Keen Lynch back onto the pitch, uh, play a couple of internal games. They're they're in a really good spot, you'd imagine. Uh, you'd sometimes say maybe it's a month too long. I think it's probably after the game yesterday. They, probably, they basically hurled two games yesterday nearly. So they'll need that sort of time off. They have the luxury of taking a full week off and then ramping it up for two weeks and then tapering down for a week. So they're in a, in a pretty good spot. And even like Cottle O'Neill, an inexperienced player in his first Munster final, maybe didn't light it up, still got two points and was still really effective. And from a Limerick point of view, it's just the fact that different players keep pop, popping up on different days. Tom Morris, who'd probably been quiet in the championship so far, Big game yesterday. Seamus Flanagan, who'd missed a lot of time. Massive game yesterday with, with eight points from play. And then you have someone like Barry Nash, who's just, his graph is just always on the up at the moment. So they're in it. They're sitting pretty at the moment in, in a great place. What's very, um, what's very
1: pleasing though, Michael, just a final point, Will, sorry. He got so much from his bench. So you don't have to turn around now and worry about, are they up to speed? Are they uh, kind of maybe with a little jaw on them because they got no game time? Like, that's a great way to be, to be able to throw on the guys that they did yesterday. You know, Costello was it? Uh, David Reedy was really significant when he came on. Boylan just does what Boylan does. Like, and that's brilliant from a team perspective and overall, you know, really keeping everyone chomping at the base. It's it's a great
2: position to be in. There's also a suggestion, Eddie, that Peter Casey is up to speed in training and he could be an option off the bench. And bear in mind, before he got injured, he was nailed on for Man of the Match in the All Ireland final last year. So. Like, I think with a month to, to spare and potentially he and Lynch coming back, they're in great shape. The, the word industry
3: is Peter Casey be back to full training by the middle of this month. So he'd have potentially two weeks under his belt. And that's not to say he's going to start an All-Ireland semi-final or anything like that. But again, it's all about options and it looks like he's going to be an option as well.
0: Peter Casey and Keane Lynch to come back before an All-Ireland semi-final doesn't uh, give much confidence to the rest of the chasing pack, I don't think. Eddie, so what about the Leinster final then? Your county, Kilkenny, making it three Leinster titles in a row. Um, What were your overall thoughts of the game?
1: Yeah, so look, I suppose at the time it wasn't a great fair it was a real attritional thing, but not obviously on the level of yesterday. Like I said, it was it was very much uh, the the bigger brother rolled into town yesterday and and showed the you know the the little brother over in Leinster how it's done. But at the same time, um, from the Kilkenny perspective, yeah, they'd have to be happy. Uh, they were really, really. I think they weren't definitely within a point of Galway up in Salt Hill today, but yesterday um, they got it right, or Saturday they got it right. But I don't think they had to go too much uh, tactically or they didn't have to really stretch to to, to deal with Galway. And, and Galway, looked while they had good movement in the first half, you know, I was there at the match and I was watching just Henry on the sideline. He was very frustrated with the lack of movement from his half-forward line. And I think at one stage he was kind of growling as uh, James Owens over Freeze and, and, and that's part and parcel of it. But it was as much... Because he was trying to get the lads to move and they didn't seem to be responding. I don't know whether Galway coming into the match were just a little bit overconfident. Maybe they just thought they have Kilkenny's number, but I was even watching the warm-up and they'd done a drill that I'd kind of never really seen before where they're on sideline to sideline and I thought, right, this is one we used to do in Kilkenny where you'd have three face and three and it was all snappy sprinting into it, but it was just very relaxed and easy going and I just think I just thought it was an odd kind of a drill. I said, "Jesus," I said, "That's not kind of a match day drill, just clipping the ball over to each other." I said, "Usually you're snapping, and I don't know. Look, I mean, you're looking at little things here, but I think overall they never really tested Kilkenny. But equally there, Kilkenny, you know, done what they had to do. But I thought they made work. They they made life hard for themselves in that first half. They seemed to find both wing backs who were cheating a little bit. Both Parigmanian and Bork." used to drop back whenever Kilkenny got possession deep. And three or four times we hit the ball into forwards where they were completely outnumbered. So, you know, you look at it, I was watching even the runs. So Kilkenny need to smarten up a little bit as regards application and intensity and bravery I mean that's just the requisite with, with, with a Brian Cody team. They'll they'll charge into everything. But you know TJ Reid obviously was the standout performer when they needed leadership and just in simple things. Um, but yes, it wasn't. It, it definitely won't go down as as a as a cracker. And I
3: think both have have a lot to work when
1: they look at yesterday.
0: Yeah, Michael. When you compare the Leinster final to the Munster final, you know what's your assessment?
3: Actually, it was poles apart. Now the games were refereed differently. you would have to say as well. The best way of describing the Munster final yesterday, with refereeing performance, is that like James Keenan or John Keenan wasn't buying what the players were selling. They were looking for frees at times, and there was just no way. There was one stage in the second half where David Fitzgerald was looking for a free, and he literally like put his hands up like that and said, "If you don't hit the ball now, I'm going to blow you for over carrying." That was the way it was. Whereas, but um, well, listen, I thought that the Leinster final was kind of played on on Kilkenny's terms, and Henry described it well in the his post match interview, where he just said. Galway gave James Owens a chance to blow a lot of the time. They put themselves in scenarios where it's a 50-50 call and a lot of the, the call, those kind of calls kind of fell on Kilkenny's side the other night. Just be really disappointed with what Galway showed or what they didn't show the other night, um, outside of Conor Whelan, they had no real attack and threat, you'd have to say. When he got the ball, he looked dangerous, but kind of once he would all or got into it, probably after about 40 minutes, um, having not played, he hadn't played a game in about five weeks. Uh, with a broken a broken thumb. So once he got into it, I thought he did really well there, but there was a lack of attacking options thereafter. Probably looking at the man at the edge of the square, one end in Dahi Burke, and the man at the edge of the square, the other end in Conor Whelan. Outside of them, they had very few guys that, that that really stood up to it. And yeah, I agree with Eddie, uh, with Eddie there. Henry a really sh- frustrated figure with a lot of different things that were going on. And like if you look at it, under Mihal Dunu. The second half of the Leinster final in 2016 was a really flat performance, and thereafter, Galway were pretty much consistent, and you knew what you were going to get. If You look in the last two years, you know, it was probably a no-show against Dublin last year in the Leinster semi-final. They were down by 16 points at one stage to uh, Waterford in a qualifier last year, and just a real kind of non-performance again the other day. So yeah, no, just worrying from a Galway point of view, you'd wonder, you'd have question marks about whether they're going to be able to turn it around. Um for probably what's gonna be looking like Cork in, in all Ireland Corner. But even make
1: just they, they stop supplying Whelan. Whelan was getting balls out to the yeah. corner. So you're making those lateral runs. Whereas I think if you're making the straight run, and Kilkenny done it a few times, where a forward breaks in a straight line towards the guy that's striking it, that's easy for a corner back to adjust and, and regroup we'll say when he makes the initial break, then you recover it. Whereas if you're running lateral and the ball is coming across the way, that is really, really difficult. And that's what Limerick do, they feed Gillan that way. Galway started that in the first half, and then the second half, they just stopped supplying Whelan, and then when it did come in, it was coming in straight lines, which as the defenders kind of like that ball, they prefer that one as opposed to having to go across their man or break left or break right.
0: And, Vincent, for a lot of people, the game was a sideshow to the final whistle when we'd see Brian Cody and Henry Shefflin coming together again, you know, and I think RTE were kind of focusing on both of them in a split screen at one stage, and it was a very interesting dynamic once again. You know, they they, they didn't shake hands for a while when they did. Henry Shefflin was left shaking his head. What what did you make of that interaction?
2: Well, I think um, Eddie refers to it as a sad thing to see, really, that um, in his column today. Look, I, I, I would want to specify... Just in case anyone thinks because I wrote Henry's book that I've been talking to Henry about this, I certainly haven't. So I don't really know what his feelings are on it. But like, I just think it's, it's pretty sad that there's a lack of what I would see as magnanimity from Brian Cody. You know, you've won your 18th Leinster title. Uh, how hard is it to just seek out Henry and shake his hand? And, and you know, if you think of the great players that have been in that Kilkenny dressing room over the years, I don't think anyone has represented Cody's constitution, if you want to call it that. More faithfully over the years than Henry and, and picked up really bad injuries in that cause. And the idea that he's guilty of some kind of fundamental betrayal by managing another team, like this is the, this is the modern world we live in. It's, this is commonplace now in the GAA. I think it's really sad that, that Brian Cordy couldn't find it in himself to just seek out Henry, shake his hand and walk away. And if you go back to Salt Hill, what I found staggering about that was there was only one shot that day in Salt Hill. Everybody knew this because the whole build-up to that game was Henry against Cody. So as long as Brian has been involved in the game, he knew what the photographers were going to be looking for, what the TV cameras were going to be looking for, and that he could not bring himself to just shake Henry's hand and walk away without that glare. And um, just very sad. Two, two great comrades over the years in, in with probably the best hurling team we've ever seen that it's come to this. And you could see it in Henry. Henry shaking his head at the end, kind of saying, what the hell is going on here? I, I just think it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, Eddie, I'll give you the last word on that then. You know two men's. You would, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know them both so well. Like, what, what what, are your thoughts? And what are people in Kilkenny saying today about
1: it? Uh, don't talk to anyone in Kilkenny, thankfully. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I just, I yeah, it's just sad. I mean, look, you, you could look into all the different things that maybe are at play here, um it just beggars the question, you know, about you know, Brian Cody obviously looked for Henry to go get involved with the Kilkenny setup. So I mean, there's all this stuff going on. Um, but it's just disappointing to see because I think for me, and again I have my own kind of view on it or interpretation of it, but I just think what what it has done now is has generated a story that could have been killed, I think, very quickly on Saturday night if both of them just Head over and and they were kind of very close to each other. I seen your footage, Mick. They were very very close to each other. Um, I think and it just that that kills it. I think that just makes this go away. Whereas twenty twenty two championship, this is going to be as much a story uh as you know maybe an, the All Ireland finalists and and from a Kilkenny perspective, I would be disappointed saying that we're generating that kind of a story for for not for not a good reason. And that's look ultimately I was in the dressing room with both for a long time, and it's just sad to see. But um, I suppose, look, if you if you want to really go after it and examine all the things that are at play, you can definitely, you know, look at it from both sides. But look, you're it's a competitive environment. It's you know, once you get into those the the lines there of competitiveness, it's 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 savage. And and Brian Cody has just been very resolute and focused in that throughout his career. Players have moved on and different things. So I suppose there's there's all these things going on there. But uh look, it is disappointing to see and you'd be hoping that uh, I thought it it definitely festered Saturday night. It definitely has gone to a place now that's that it's that it's uh it's not good. And you'd be hoping that that could be, you know, fixed very quickly because
0: uh life is too short. Great stuff, Eddie. Thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, man. Well, we're delighted to be joined by Column Keys for our football chat today on the throw in podcast. Column. it was an intriguing weekend of qualifier and Talchon Cup action, but we might start with Tyrone's elimination from the All-Ireland Championship. I think I saw someone tweet that it was the shortest All-Ireland defence of the, of the qualifier era. Um, but a, a, kind of a strange year all year, really. It probably ended in a, in a relatively predictable way, considering how things had gone beforehand. What are your thoughts on just from start to finish how Tyrone have defended their title this year? Well, Tyrone will have a very
4: poor habit of, defending their now four All-Ireland titles. If you go back to 04 bad run of injuries. Saw them knocked out against Mayo. 06 again, injuries were a problem. Ironically, they lost to Derry in Ulster in rather similar circumstances to this year. And again, a few injuries and things weren't right for them and they were gone by the qualifiers against Mick Dwyer's leash. 2009 was their best defence. They reached an All-Ireland semi-final, lost to Cork eventually. But I have to say this is their worst ever defence right through the season. They just haven't been off a yard, to use that phrase, uh, apart from the, the away win against Kerry, against a Kerry team that didn't have anything really tangible to pursue except a victory over Tyrone. Uh, but they, they edged that one. But they've never looked themselves. They've never looked the same driven team they were through last summer and if I'm not mistaken <clears throat> in the qualifier era they're the only all-Ireland champions not to go out and to, to go out as early as they as they have done they won one championship game against Fermanagh they've they've lost the other two but I don't recall any other team obviously the, the calendar has been has been brought forward but for, for all-Ireland champions reigning champions to be out on the bank holiday in in june is is quite something and that's obviously a legacy of the new schedule but also a legacy of how poor they've been they were they were very very poor during the league it's it's probably a bit much to say that they they were disinterested but they were certainly more disengaged than they they were last year all their best players from last year and we 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 could name them just have not have not followed through and no, there's a certain line out there that they're the poorest All-Ireland champions in a number of years. I mean, that's that's obviously uh, another debate for another time. You, you, you couldn't actually say that right now, I don't think. But they certainly haven't validated what they did last year in any way. And it's it's been really poor for them and one that will take a while for them to, to digest. They won a great All-Ireland last year, albeit with with help from the schedule. But to win that Ulster, Ulster championship as they did Beating Monaghan in the final, having having beaten Donegal, albeit a Donegal team that didn't have Michael Murphy for, for much of it. But then to beat Kerry and obviously Mayo it was a very hard-won All-Ireland title, but this just has not been backed up. and uh, I wouldn't say it takes a little bit away from it, but it certainly doesn't validate what they did last year in any way.
0: Yeah, and I think their struggles this year kind of summed up by you know footballer of the year Karen McGeary, being dropped, you know, for the for their qualifier defeat to to Armagh. Michael, like, do you look at it and think maybe that they won it maybe against the head, and the players just were maybe it's the struggle to kind of get back on the horse after you know claiming the ultimate prize in the sport that maybe just the the application potentially wasn't the same as it was last year.
3: Maybe so. Um, you would have uh, if you are looking a bit longer term, you would have said that it was. Uh, Doer and Logan's second year, and potentially that they would get better once they got uh, more time in amongst that setup and the style of play, get to I suppose more familiarity with the changes that we made in the squad. But the wheels have really come off. You know, look at Waterford in the hurling, and you think these okay they were flying it during the league and won the league, and then the wheels came off in the championship. The wheels have kind of never really been on for Tyrone. Take out maybe one or two kind of league results. and I'd imagine from a manager's point of view, obviously the, the two lads over them, very frustrating to try and put your finger on it. At least, you know, if you're beaten by a last-minute goal or defensive laps or something like that, you can put your finger on what you need to work on. I'd imagine they'll be looking in several different directions, trying to find out what went wrong this year. And there'll be a lot of people asking questions, and it's a difficult thing to find an answer to. Um, while we will focus on Tyrone a good bit, I have to say on the on the flip side of that, like, this, I think this is Karen there's 14th season as a manager, an inter county manager, and he probably hasn't, he's rarely had a better win than this. Kind of maybe a, a statement win from an Armagh point of view. Uh, and one, one that could maybe see them push on now. And the way the draws worked out, they get a chance of retribution against the Donegal side, hurting from an Ulster final defeat. So, But just from, from an Armagh point of view, a very good performance from them. and... The sort of performance that could kick start, really kickstart their season gives them the belief to kick on.
0: Yeah, Colin, do you think Armagh can kick on, as Michael said? You know, they were one of the, the kind of the early season kind of form teams with that great swashbuckling victory over Dublin. I know it was the, the opening of the league, but they were very, very impressive. And as Michael says, they play Donegal now, a team who have given them pretty sizable beatings in their two meetings in the Ulster Championship, you know, over the last couple of years. Do, do you give them much of a chance to kind of, you know, really push towards the quarterfinal?
4: I give them a great chance, Will, uh, a couple of factors. There, there comes a time in, in every team's cycle, and we saw that in Ennis with Clare and Mead the other night, and I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss that. But there comes a time in every team's cycle when they say enough is enough from the beatings they take from the same team. Now, obviously, you can you can separate Dublin and perhaps even Kerry from that. But in games like this between Donegal, Donegal and Armagh, that is the last draw. A Donegal team picking themselves up off the floor after losing to Derry would want would be an Armagh team that they've already dealt with in league to preserve the division one status uh, at the end of March and now championship in, in April that they've already dealt with twice are now coming back at them. It's probably a little bit of a flaw in that they don't avoid repeat pairings at this stage of the competition. And yet they will for the quarterfinals as best they can so that that is a bit of a flaw having said that Arma were very well well organized when they concentrate on playing football Arma are delightful to watch they really are some of their moves some of their counter-attacking you would not have believed that was a game between two ulster teams given the high quality and front foot football that they did play the caution by and large, was gone. Don't get me wrong. Armad defended very well, very organised. But when they play like that, and when they really go for it, they're an exciting team to watch. And they were they were careful enough at the back. Obviously, we've mentioned Tyrone uh, overall, and I probably didn't mention. I expected Tyrone through Cottle McShane, through Dara Canavan, through Conor McKenna. I expected improvements from all of them this year, and that probably that probably compounds the disappointment that they had players there that you expected gains to make but Armagh tied them up very well there was probably a greater want of them ultimately if you dig down you can never really you can never really gauge gauge there's no measurement for that but you suspect that an Armagh team finally wanted to lay down a real firm championship marker and Michael mentions Kieran McGeaney's six years with Kildare he's been eight with with Armagh, and this is by far his biggest championship win because even though he got to All-Ireland quarterfinals so far with both, uh, as a manager taking out All-Ireland champions, one of the elite teams, one of the best teams, that's his biggest day. And I think it puts them in a great frame of mind to go and turn the tables on a Donegal team that had dished out some big beatings to them on his watch now. Over the last, over the, since in his reign, 2015, there was, there was one obviously in 2020 again, and this year by seven points. So they've been heavy beatings, but there comes a time in a cycle where, where, where a team manages to reverse that. And I feel it may
0: be upon our man now. Set up to be a very intriguing game this weekend. Michael, the other kind of big qualifier clash of the weekend was Mayo Monaghan. Came down to maybe a contentious refereeing decision at the end. I know Banti McEnany has been very vocal about it, called it a disgrace after the game. You know what was your view on that? Do you think he had a point
3: I think he had a think he had a fair point you know, in fairness the 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 foot block uh the foot block penalty calls I disagree with one of them was quite up close. the other one thought the player was three or four yards away. There's no way you're going to try a foot block from there. He was nearly just throwing his body on it but the the penalty call at the end they probably he probably will feel fairly hard done by it. say. From Banty's point of view, there's a lot of personal frustration probably coming into that as well. It's his third year there, it's his second stint there. They're gone out at the first qualifier stage. You probably question whether he's going to be there again next year. As a result of that, some question marks even over, you know, their style of play and how they're how they're playing tactically and maybe not utilising a couple of the you know marquee players up front, especially in, in McCarn and in, in Conor McManus. So yeah, there was a lot of frustration there. They probably thought they should have had extra time, but isn't I suppose these are the, the hops of the ball you get from a then from a Mayo point of view. Just thinking it was pretty, but they're back on the road again and back, you know, one win away from an All Ireland quarter final, exactly where they want to be.
0: Yeah, Colin, you know, from a Mayo perspective, I was the All Ireland finalists last year. There was a hope that they could maybe push on and finally get the Sam Maguire this year. They've, they're going the long route. Albeit not as long as in previous years, given the new format. You know, where do you think they're at? You know, heading into their game against Kildare. Yeah,
4: they weren't overly impressive. Will on on Saturday, <clears throat> but they did enough. And I just think that power and pace that they bring from defence, typified by Oshin Mullen, looked back to nearly his best. That type of form he showed in in 2020 when he broke onto the scene. I thought he was very dynamic. So too Paddy Durkin back from injury. They get these guys back and get them fit, and they're a force again, no doubt about it. Owen, Lachlan, conti- Owen McLaughlin continuously puts himself, he's such an athlete, and he keeps putting himself in in these positions behind enemy lines, and he's just not getting the return from it. Obviously, they didn't have Ryan O'Donoghue with a, a groin injury, believed to be a groin injury, and Tommy Conroy is long, long-term out with a cruciate. You just imagine if you had those guys together with a fit, and well, Killian O'Connor. What a force that Mayo would be in this championship right now. And it's obviously a regret, and we can't keep talking about it, but potentially all, all being well and everybody being there and right, and Mayo would have an outstanding chance. As it is, they still have they still have a good chance. Uh, players coming back into form. Um, Enda Hessian, I thought, was very good for them on uh, Saturday at cornerback. Matthew Ruan, too. So some of their players... They look to be coming back into form. Not much punch, not much punch really up front from them. That's that's the concern that the likes of O'Donoghue and previous to this, Conroy, would have given them. And Killian O'Connor got his freeze and took his penalty superbly. But I, I still feel he's finding his, his feet. And naturally he is because he was out for such a, a long spell last year with his Achilles. But signs that they are in better form after last Saturday night. They weren't great. They did enough to beat an average Monaghan team. I have to say, uh, a team that looks to be just starting to wilt a little bit on the vine. Um, I'd agree with Michael. I thought they should have had a penalty to draw the match. I thought there was enough contact put on there to warrant that decision. But ultimately, they were beaten by, by a better team. And a team I think will improve against Kildare this weekend too.
0: Yeah, Michael, the qualifier draw, the way it's kind of thrown with the pairings, you have two Division I clashes, and then you have Limerick versus Cork and Ross Collin versus Clare. You know, great opportunities to make a quarter final, and then the way the kind of draw has been divvied up with Dublin and Kerry on one side, you know, potentially a, a good opportunity for a tilt at a semi-final or even into a final. Like, it really is open up possibilities for teams that maybe ordinarily wouldn't have these opportunities.
3: Yeah, big time. Even you look down through those four games, and even, like, you look at probably the lower of the four, Cork against Limerick, after after him beaten in a, a Munster final, it's you know it's probably the ideal draw for Limerick in many ways. They they're not gonna fear Cork from a Cork point of view. They're kinda of back on the horse. I think they've won three of their last four games, taken in league and championship, good win over Loud at the weekend. And you're right, there is a passage through there. If you can negotiate a couple of they're all a lot of them are 50 50 games, but if you can negotiate them, you're putting yourself in a really good spot. Just you were uh, saying, Colin, about there comes a time in a team's life cycle when you need to beat another team. And I just I thought it was a great line from Conor McCown in his match report on Claire against Mead. Uh, he just said, for Colin Collins, that famous Vetus Garolitis line came to mind. The American tennis player responsible for one of the most offsided sports quotes. Let that be a lesson to you all. Nobody beats Vitas uh, Gerulaitis seventeen times in a row after ending a brutal run of losses against Jimmy Connors in 1979. And he just, Colin said the other the other day, he just said Andy has bait me up a stick, so he has up a stick, and they finally they finally turned the tables on him, and and like Claire just. Uh, like the hurlers are obviously flying at the moment and the whole county uh, seems to be, there seems to be a really big lift, but the footballers just continue, they're so consistent, so consistent, rarely trying a bad performance. They've had maybe a couple of tough afternoons maybe against uh, Kerry during Colin, uh, Collins's reign, but they've been so consistent and they'll see Roscommon as a really good opportunity to get back to quarter final. I think I think Colin was there in 2016, was it, I think, when, when Mick Bohan was coach, yeah.
4: There beat Kevin McStay's Russ Common yeah, yeah. Uh, in in the qualifiers and reached reached the all Arden quarterfinals Finals. That yeah, year.
3: yeah, so a great chance. Uh, it's basically a chance to repeat that again against the same opposition to get back to that stage again. But they've been one of the, the great stories in the last seven or eight years just so dogged and so consistent and a team that is absolutely maximizing the resources that they have in a county that's obviously more more would be more traditionally well known as a hurling county
0: colin i'd be interested to get your opinion on mead now that, you know their their season has ended andy McIntyre, uh a disappointing potential end to his reign like where are Mead at like the, uh, connor you know michael mentioned connor's piece like connor argued that are they that much further Forward than they were when he took over? I, I don't know what your opinion on that is or his reign as a whole.
4: Well, he, he took them over in Division 2 and they had lost qualifiers under the previous regime to Derry, up in Derry and without... Uh, tamely enough, I think, that day too. Um, not exactly yeah, tamely enough. So it's pretty similar, only I think morale in the county over, over, six, over the last... Certainly the last three years and some of those beatings by Dublin has really ground down Mead. Um, I think fundamentally the problems lie deeper than who's going to manage the county team next. I have to say that if you look back and I always go back to this. If you look back at Mead's under-21 record over the last two decades, since 2001, they've reached one Leinster under-21 final. Not, not win it now, they've reached one final in 2014 and Dublin beat them comfortably. So, if you look at that as the bedrock or the foundation for something, well, it's not a very, very good sign. They should be competing, certainly with teams, and okay, you'll have good individuals bringing through, but... Structurally, they just have not been able to bring through good under 21 teams, under 20 teams now, that would provide the bedrock or foundation for something in the future. If you look back at, if you look at the club scene, the club scene is really poor. Um, I'd say there probably hasn't been a team, there hasn't been a team in a Leinster club final since 2004. It's a long, long time without any footprint at Leinster club final. I feel there's an edge gone out of club football, you know, that um that hard edge. There's not a culture of coaching in Mead either, really, of you know, defensive coaching. There's a little bit of probably still feel that there's some throwback to previous days that Mead can play a certain way and should play a certain day. Well, they're being opened up playing a particular way. And really whoever takes on the job next really has to focus on making themselves as hard to beat, no matter how no matter how poor that looks, because that's the way a team builds foundations, is making themselves, at the first instance, hard to beat. Mead were very lucky that Clare didn't open them up. that I had a goalkeeper, Harry Hogan who made two terrific saves in the last quarter, one from a penalty that could have made that scoreline, uh, giving it a lot harsher look for them. Uh, Clare really did open them up, and it was probably another, another sobering night, albeit not against Dublin. But I do feel the impact of heavy... Dublin defeats has, has had that corrosive effect on the county. Maybe it's going to have it on Kildare too, but being their nearest neighbor and considered among their biggest rivals, although that's dubious now in, in, in the face of results in Leinster. But I do feel it's having a grinding effect, grounding down effect on uh, on Meat Football and possibly Kildare too. And you're seeing the uh you're seeing the legacy of that. But the fundamentals, the under-20 teams, under-21 teams, the club teams, the club. You know, the whole club standard is just not its just not good. And uh, I feel there's an apathy creeping in. And as I said, it goes beyond who's going to manage the team next.
0: Yeah, and there was plenty of Talton Cup action, Michael, as well over the weekend. Westmead beating Carlo, awfully beating New York. Sligo overcoming leachman penalties, very dramatic finish there. And then Cavan beating Fermanagh. So to, we have two semi finals: Westmead versus Offley and Sligo versus Cavan. You know, generally over the weekend, the and Cup again seemed to be picking up a bit more momentum. We talked about it last week, um, hope and hoping that that could be the case. Like, am I reading that wrong? Do you think, or is that the case?
3: No, no, I think, um, I think there's been plenty of excitement around the yeah, Jay. Even like, I, don't, I don't think New York had much of a chance coming to Offley, but there was a big deal around that. They hadn't played in Ireland, I think, was it in 21 years? I think, um, so like. There was a there was a lot of fanfare even around that. Um, have to say, from a Leitrim point of view, they're unlucky to have a, a goal disallowed for a square ball that it definitely didn't look like it was a square ball. Again, dramatic uh, a dramatic finish there with penalties too. But no, I do think I do think you're right, Will. And uh, the two semi finals both going to be on TV, both going to get a lot of airtime. Um, I don't know if it was a, a you know if uh, GA hierarchy had personal conversations with managers and squads and things like that about how important the competition needed to be treated. But they, you know teams and management have definitely treated it with the respect that it deserves. And it's going to be ramped up even more over the coming weeks. And you know, from an Offaly point of view, uh, a team uh, that has a load of under 20 players from last year, from the All-Ireland winning team, it's the perfect foundation for Offaly. Absolutely perfect foundation. And then you put it on the flip side of a player like Niall McNamee, who's been around since I think it's 2003. You know, he's still getting a chance to play in a televised game, potentially play in Crow Park. Um, and there's there's a Nile McNamee in all those counties that are left. So yeah, I definitely think it's getting the the respect that it deserves and there's been some belters of games. You can't you couldn't confidently call a lot of the games, how they're going to go. And I think that can only be a good thing.
0: Yeah, Colin, I think we had you on before the championship started. We were looking ahead to the Tal Cup and what prominence or, or momentum it might gain. And we, we did, I think, single out that semi-final weekend with the two televised games as being a key selling point. You know, from what you've seen so far, are, are you hopeful that, you know, it could kind of develop into a, a really, you know, integral competition, one that teams do enjoy playing in and, like, spectators enjoy watching?
4: I think in the short term, the answer to that is yes, Will. And I think already we have seen it, the progress of Carlo the previous week against Tipperary and Leitrim against Antrim really emboldened it. Um, and then for Leitrim to go out on penalties to Sligo, that would have been a terrific local derby between themselves and Cavan had they drawn. In fact, I would have said beforehand, Cavan, Leitrim, Offaly, Westmead would be the ideal set of semi-finals, notwithstanding Sligo are there and they'll be very competitive. But I think it's pointing towards A Cavan Westmeath final. Sorry to say that, Michael, but I do think that's where it's headed. And to me, they're probably the two best teams left standing, which would be a good start for the competition, albeit that the likes of Carlo and Leitrim have come through and they've embraced it. And I have to say, the players and management have embraced it. They've been open about it. They've talked about it. They've, They've done everything they can to promote it. I think people have taken a great interest in it. Uh, and I think having a strong team like Cavan really taken hold, having pushed Donegal all the way in their semi-final to come out and say, well, let's let's focus on this. And the €60,000 for the winners for a team holiday, so it's a, it's an added incentive there to uh, to really go after it. But I think playing two games in Croke Park, um, the profile it will get, and just the fact that you're getting the, your hands on a trophy at the end of it, the first Tottenham Cup, in the short term, yeah, I think this competition has a future. Michael points to the development element of of it for for Offaly. That's terrific with a with a view to twenty twenty three to bringing in those players and giving them ex- the experience of a, a knockout semi final like a Tolkien Cup uh, will be. Maybe maybe they go and win it and and book my uh, prediction of a Cavan West final. But all told, I think it's a, it's a better concept than I thought it would be, and so far it's it's worked out pretty well. Um, and I think a Calvin Westmead final would probably justify, although if it's Cavan Offley well, well and good too. But I mean, something like that would justify its first start.
3: I tell you, i would be piggybacking on this 60 grand holiday if Offley are involved anyway, I can tell you that.
0: Well, it's going to be an exciting semi-final weekend in a couple of weeks' time. But for now, Michael, Colin, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Will. That's all we have time for on the Throw-On Podcast this week. But we will be back later in the week with another podcast with Billy McMahon as he discusses all the latest football topics In the meantime, you could subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.